Welcome to Stu's EV Universe, where you can find anything and everything electric vehicle. Today on the podcast, I'd like to welcome my guest, Paul Scott, who is co-founder of Plug in America. Uh, great to see you, Paul. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. And uh, a, uh, I guess a belated happy birthday. I know you just had a birthday. We're both Libras, <laughs> <laughs> oh, which good. is uh, a blessing and a curse, I suppose. It's a, a wonderful thing. Yeah, I just, I guess we can kind of go right into it um, and uh, kind of go in the way back machine uh, a little bit about why EVs, what was your first kind of experience with electric vehicles and what attracted you to, uh, to that? Sure, yeah. I had just um, recently gotten married in um, 01, and uh, right after that, you know, I, I was diagnosed with cancer. So okay. uh, we went through this whole rigmarole with uh, operations and stuff like that, and and uh, there was a, a chance that I might not pull through. So I thought, well, let's, you know, I wanted to leave a legacy of solar energy on the roof if I died. So I was researching uh, how to get solar on my roof. And in 2001, that was not that easy. Right. Uh, but right away, I, I found this website where people were talking about electric cars. And so I lurked around there and, and uh, found out you could actually buy an electric car at that time, a Toyota RAV4. And uh, so we, we got the solar installed uh, coincidentally on my 50th birthday. So that was kind of fun. And then two months later, we took possession of our first electric car, uh, this Toyota RAV4 EV. Okay. Um, and at that point, I'm running my house and my car on sunlight. And we had already gone into Afghanistan in that war, and the drumbeat was really loud to uh, go into war in Iraq. All of us paying attention knew that was a war for oil. So we, we became radicalized uh, on that because we, we had the solution. We were using the solution, and we knew uh, a few dozen other people who were doing it. So that's when we got uh, organized and started forming the uh, group that ultimately became Plug in America. Now, can you tell me a little bit about that first group? I know, um, you know, the EV1, it's actually amazing, but it's the 25th anniversary of the EV1, which is wild. Um, but yeah, so much happened with that. Can you talk about that initial kind of group of people and maybe a little bit about the spirit of that and how that all kind of formed uh, and what that was like? Sure. Well, when we when we got the car, we immediately fell in with a, a group of uh, a dozen or so people who had already been where we were now, and they were saying, well, they're taking the cars back and crushing them, and we found out the EV1 was the number one car they were taking back. That's the one everybody was paying attention to, and uh, so we started organizing the, uh, to kind of protest that, to try to stop it. GM had 78 of the last remaining EV1s uh, in a parking lot in Burbank, California. So we went over there and we started organizing a, a vigil to save them because we knew they were going to be taken out to the Arizona desert and crushed. Right. And so we formed this vigil and we rotated through people 24-7. We had somebody out front there and, and they tried to, uh, they took one truckload away. So we called everybody and we all showed up at the place to try to stop them. But the press didn't show up. 
So uh, the police were there, and if we didn't allow that truck to leave, they were going to arrest us. And if you get arrested and the press isn't there to cover it, you just got arrested for nothing. It's going to cost you right. a lot of money. So right. we allowed that truck to leave, uh, but we told the press, that next time, you know, we, we are definitely going to have a story for you. Sure enough, a week later, after uh, the Washington Post ran a story and the Los Angeles Times ran a story, uh, then they showed up with 12 trucks and their intent was to take all the remaining ones away. So we called everybody, and they all showed up. The The police were outnumbering us. I mean, there, there must have been 20 police there. But we had a lot of press there. So right. uh, we staged the intervention. We tried to stop them, and they arrested two of us. Uh, that was all planned. But then they took those 12 trucks out and to the Arizona desert, and they crushed all those cars. And that was what you see in the movie Who Killed the Electric Car? Uh, but we didn't stop there. We immediately started turning our, our anger toward Toyota because Toyota was crushing their cars as well. Right. And so we staged two protests at a Toyota dealership in Santa Monica, and that's all it took. Uh, Toyota caved uh, pretty quickly, and they they negotiated with us. And we had four, uh, four asks, four demands, and uh, they gave us three of the four demands. And uh, so we counted that as a win. We saved about 500 cars from the crusher. Wow. Okay. Now, I mean, with activism, I guess it is part theater. Uh, it's part passion. I mean, what makes a good, uh, I guess, campaign, if you will? Because I, I think back, you know, I'm thinking maybe uh, 25, at least 25 or 30 years. I don't have a lot of, when I was younger, experience with protests or or, or recollection of things going on. But uh, I do remember going to a Whole Foods and there was a group that was putting um, like little Xerox pamphlets or something on SUVs. And they were like, you know, SUVs are bad and you need to stop this. And it's, it's a waste of, waste of resources. Obviously, in a way that didn't work <laughs> because, I mean, the roads are peppered with SUVs now. So, I mean, the intention could be there, uh, but what makes it successful? You know, it, it just seems like there are ingredients that are needed in order to, for things to kind of move forward and, and, you know, to kind of take hold. Part of it is being able to concentrate your, your efforts toward a small enough target that you can have an effect on that target. If it's too broad, you know, just saying SUVs are bad, and they are. Uh, the argument is pretty clear on that. You're, you're talking about millions of people who, right. and their individual decisions to buy an SUV. Right. You're not going to get much traction with that. But if you go after a specific target, in this case, Toyota uh, Corporation, uh, Toyota, being a Japanese company, they, they are averse to controversy. They don't like people calling them out. So uh, GM didn't care. GM didn't care right. at all. You know, They will do whatever they want. You know, GM at that time was filled, their, their board was filled with evil people, the co corporation was filled with evil people, and they just didn't care about the harm they were causing. So our, our efforts didn't really matter to them and didn't have an effect. But Toyota, they did. They did care about their public uh, perception of their company. And we were, you know, we had big signs that said, shame on Toyota. And so people were curious about that, and the company didn't like it. So we were able to get them to change their behavior. And we're doing it again today. We're calling for a boycott of Toyota, and we've had two protests at the same dealership uh, to try to get that one to have traction. Uh, so so uh, it's really a matter of being able to target your resources. We didn't have a lot of people. We had a couple of dozen people total in all of this effort, and but we, we managed to change uh, the... Uh, the minds of a, a giant corporation at that time with a targeted 
effort. Now, uh, with Plug in America, it wasn't originally, uh, how did that evolve? I mean, um, when I look at Plug in America, I, I think about National Drive Electric Week. I think about a strategic partnership with the Sierra Club, with Electric Auto Association. I'm honestly in awe of what Plug in America has achieved uh, as far as really positive stuff. I mean, all of us in the EV community know that Drive Electric Week, National Drive Electric Week, yeah, there might have been some chapters that have been doing ride and drives, but it, it really cemented everything and it made it it brought it into the spotlight. And I can't really think of much else that has really moved the needle more than that kind of effort. I mean, can you talk about the early days and, and what was some of the, the thinking behind, you know, Plug in America? Sure. So when we first started doing the protests, uh, the group was called Don'tCrush.com. And it was just a name that one of the very earliest protesters uh, gave because we were trying to, at that time, to stop the crushing of the cars. After the Toyota protests, uh, all the cars had either been saved or crushed, so uh, that that name didn't suffice anymore. So we, we drove up to um, a ranch near uh, uh, Yosemite, and so all the San Francisco people met us there, and we hadn't met them in person uh, to this time. We'd been working for two or three years together online, so we all met and uh, spent a weekend at this ranch and, and came up with the name Plug in America. So that's when Plug in America was born. We got grabbed the name. Uh, we filed for 501c3 status. And instead of uh, a group of activists trying to stop the crushing of existing cars, our goal at that point was to try to convince the OEMs, the original equipment manufacturers, legacy car makers, if you will, uh, to start manufacturing more electric cars or electric cars at all. And uh, so that's, that's when it was birthed. And, and we were still the activists who made up the board. And some of us were better at activism than managing a board of directors. Uh, so after a few years, you know, we gradually got replaced by people who had better management skills and more of a, you know, like a, a global outlook on what Plug in America could and should be. And so that's, that's how it grew. Uh, we had a bunch of people from Microsoft came in, really smart people with, with some money. So that helped. And uh, so that kind of grew the board. And now we have, you know, it used to be everybody was in California who was on the board. And now they're from all over the country. And you've also done grassroots. I mean, you've really, you were selling Nissan Leafs for a while. So that's really kind of in the trenches, which is wonderful. I drive a Nissan Leaf to this day, and I love it. And actually, I mean, it's it's sad in a way because you're right. I mean, these companies, you'd like to think that they want to do things for the right reasons just because they want to do things for the right reasons. But, uh, you know, with me, just on a personal level, I had one of those early Nissan Leafs with a degrading battery, and I missed my uh, the warranty by 10 days. To get the new battery? 10 days. Uh-huh. To get the new battery, I already went on uh, and called them and had a case number, the whole thing. And, you know, I, I was kind of pleading with them and, and bugging them. And the only thing I would hear is no. I was... I don't give up pretty, I don't give up easy. So uh, I just kept going at them and I was, they got me to the point where I really was about to throw in the towel. And I, I remember I spoke to one of, you know, Evolve KYs, our, our nonprofit, you know, electric vehicle group here in Kentucky. And I spoke to one of our members and, you know, as EV advocates, whether, you know, you're at a dealership or you're just having casual conversations, you're really trying to sell people on EVs. And 
I helped her get her Nissan Leaf. You know, I, I answered all her questions. And, and she was like, you know, you've done so much for the community here that it's wrong. You know, she said, if you if you know, I will start a letter writing campaign. And I said, you know, you don't have to do that. And But I mentioned that to the corporate Nissan person. I said, oh, one of our members was so passionate about this that she even mentioned, you know, starting a letter writing campaign. The next day, I didn't get one call or two calls. I got three calls on my answering machine. <laughs> <laughs> saying, oh, you know, we ordered your battery pack and, uh, you know, it'll be in in about a week. So it, it's sad that, you know, it takes so much to to kind of get what is right. You know, they, they really should do well by their customers, but it, it took a lot, you know, to kind of get them there. With kind of moving into 2021, uh, obviously we have, you know, as far as activism, there are more tools involved. You know, we have the internet and we have Facebook and, and all these other things. How is that a help? I mean, is it, does it take away some of that spirit? You know, how does that factor in? I, I remember seeing a post of yours a while back. There was, um, if, if my memory is correct, uh, a supercharger station in California that was going in, a, a huge one, and it was all slated to go in, and then all of a sudden things kind of went wrong, and, and then you all kind of started speaking up about it, and it turned around. Can you talk about something like that and how... You know, social media is a help or, or you know, an addition to what you've been doing all along? Yeah, uh, that particular instance was here in Santa Monica, Toyota, no, Toyota. Uh, Tesla had uh, negotiated with the property owner uh, on a street, Santa Monica Boulevard, which is where all the car dealerships in Santa Monica are, okay. you know, they, they'll locate there. And, and so they uh, leased this property, and we're going to build a 64-stall supercharger wow. with, two, wow. uh, two, uh, with yeah, 250 kilowatt chargers. Now, to give you some perspective, Santa Monica has been a leader in, in installing charging infrastructure. For 20 years, they've had charging infrastructure, more than 20 years. And so we've installed, and I'm on the committee in Santa Monica to help find locations and, and build this out. We have a little over 150 chargers. And, and so they're all basically level two until just recently we got some level three. But I, I did the number, I calculated the, the amount of power that that one Tesla supercharger location would supply. And it was over an order of magnitude more charging power than all the charging infrastructure Santa Monica had installed in 20 years. And wow. Tesla was going to do it on their dime, you know, inside of six months. Um, so the city council, uh, in their great wisdom, told Tesla, no, you can't install on that property because we might want to build housing on that property. So now this is in spite of the property owner saying unequivocally, I will not build housing on this property and so but they still put it on a two-year moratorium not to build well tesla hearing that said well we're just going to pull out we're not going to build here at all and so i i wrote a scathing op-ed to the local paper chastising the uh city council and specifically one who's the um uh he was the green the green counselor he'd been on there for over 20 years and drove a prius and um and so uh, I, I pointed out that he drove a gas car and uh, he should not be making policy on EVs because he doesn't understand the technology. He called the parking lot. He said it was just a parking lot with plugs. And, and you know, he just yeah. doesn't get it. And they don't no. get it because they don't drive right. EVs. And, and right. people in government who are making policy on electric vehicles should be using the technology. And if they don't use the technology, they should stay out of the conversation except to 
pay attention and listen and learn because they're making bad policy. So anyway, uh, after all of that, there was a big, a big to do about it here in Santa Monica. I wrote a letter to the editor in addition to the op-ed, and uh, that counselor is now resigned from the council. Uh, and and they they turned it, turned it around. The next meeting, they they gave uh, Tesla the okay to move forward. And a lot of that had to do with pressure because I reached out to the local environmental community, many of whom were on the counselor's side because they all drive Priuses and they think they're doing great by driving a Prius. Well, that was a good thing 20 years ago. It's not a good right. thing now. It's, you're <laughs> right. buying and burning gas and anybody buying right. and burning gas right now is doing a bad thing, period. So um, uh, anyway, uh, we got that turned around. They haven't started construction yet because there's some still permit issues that they have to work through, but they hope to have it started at least by the end of the year and completed shortly thereafter. It won't be a long construction period. Right. Well, and it's interesting you mentioned, you know, the Prius. We were at an event, you know, like a, a tabling event, ride and drive event last night. And uh, there were a bunch of folks there from like one, this one lady was at a like, um, you know, carbon, you know, to kind of tax carbon. Um, and was talking about all those things and even people that are, quote unquote, on your side. You know, we were talking to her about. EVs and she's like, oh, but you know, they're powered by coal and isn't my Prius more, you know, environmentally sound anyway? And and it's just like there's all this wrong information, even on people that, you know, are really going into it for these environmental reasons. How do you combat that? It's maddening enough when you have people that are 100% trying to, you know, stop you, you know, and, and are, are quote unquote on the other side, that's, that's maddening enough. But then you have people that are just misinformed and it's really a hard thing. You know, I, I feel like a broken record sometimes and I, you know, I go and I, I, I point out things and, but how do you do something that on a, like that on a large scale? So that everybody gets the memo. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I've, I've, lost a lot of friends and and um, and a few relatives over this issue because uh, i'm I'm very hardcore over it now uh, right and right. and so we've got well-meaning people who have old information and right. so and and they're also using talking points that have been uh, very deftly put into the conversation by the oil industry uh, through op-eds and other various means. So when they say, oh, it's a, it's a coal-burning car, I'm sure you've heard that a lot. Um, that, that's a meme that was put out by the coal industry or the oil, I'm sorry, the oil industry because they're just trying to denigrate electric vehicles. Anybody who has been in electric vehicles for a while knows that you can source clean electricity. That's right. not a big issue. If you have a house with a good roof, you, you install solar. Every day, you, if you have a house with a good roof for solar and you're not installing, you're losing money every day you don't stop, install. So, And if you don't have a good roof, then you can buy uh, energy, clean energy from your utility. And if they don't offer it, buy it from a third, gen, third party generator and have your utility deliver it. You can do that. So the electricity source is a non-issue, and that needs to be told to everybody who points that out. Oh, you're just burning coal to power your car. No, you turn it around to them and say, no, you're you're using coal energy to power your house because you don't care. Right. I care, and I've taken pains to make sure my electricity comes from a clean source. And then you can go into the, oh, by the way, even if you use coal energy, you're still cleaner than oil. So there's that. And and I also throw in another thing if they if they keep persisting. So how many wars have we fought over electricity? 
None. Zero. We will never, ever have a war over electricity. We fought two wars in Iraq over oil, costing trillions of dollars, killing hundreds of thousands of people. So uh, we destabilized the entire Middle East. So um, oil is dirty all the way from the beginning to the end and has a very big political and military footprint that we need to hammer home with people who are still buying and burning gas. If you buy gasoline, you're supporting Trump, McConnell, and all the other evil assholes, evil people in Congress. Um, we have Democrats. You know, Manchin's another one. You know, he's he's the one that's stopping us from getting things done right now, uh, and he's a Democrat. But again, he's he's supported by the coal industry and probably by the oil industry as well. So uh, when you buy gasoline, that is a bad thing for that reason. When you burn gasoline, you're putting poison into the air that is causing climate change, and the criteria pollutants that you put into the air contribute to 7 million deaths per year. Now, I mean, it's wonderful. Your passion comes through, and I, know, I read something about I mean, you went so far as using your own money to having a word with Obama years ago. I I just read that you did that. I would love to hear more about what happened, you know, because that is, uh, I mean, you stepped up. You, you did something that wasn't easy to do and passionate about what you're trying to do, and, and you kind of wanted a seat at the table. Um, what happened with that? So... Yeah, in in thirteen, uh, Obama had just been reelected, so he's he's in his second term. He's very powerful. The first year of your second term is that's when you get a lot of stuff done. And uh, and so I had gotten a, a notice of a, a fundraiser in Santa Monica because I donated to the the party. And so they said, oh, he's coming, and for eight thousand two hundred dollars, you can you know have lunch with him, get get your picture taken. And um, and then for sixteen thousand, you could have lunch, and there was something else you could do. Uh, and then, so I was not interested in either of those. But for thirty-two thousand four hundred dollars, the top price, you had your picture taken with him. You had lunch, and twenty-five of you got to go into a room with the president for an hour and have one-on-one -on -one conversations with him. That right. got my attention. I thought, well, you know what? You know, I have some things I could say to him that would maybe move the needle on national policy. Um, so I thought, okay, I could do that. And it was a lot of money. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not a poor person. I wasn't at the time, but but I, I certainly wasn't rich. And that was a big, big chunk of money to me. Uh, but I paid it. I wrote the check. And uh, they said, oh, you're, you're in. You can bring a guest. So my ex-wife was coming. And we were very excited. And, and I thought, well, just in case what I say doesn't really do much, maybe I should write this op-ed uh, to kind of get the idea out there of what I'm going to tell the president and why I'm, I'm going to this thing. So I wrote this op-ed, My Lunch with Obama. And uh, in, in the op-ed, I explained that, you know, I'm just a car salesman, make 50 grand a year, um, and, and I'm going to speak to the president. I paid a lot of money to speak to the president because this is what rich people do all the time. Rich corporations are always in there. They've got the ear of politicians because they have a lot of money. Uh, but here's a normal average guy doing what they do. And now how did I get that money? Well, because for the past 12 years, I've been running my house and car on sunlight and I haven't paid the electric companies and I haven't paid the oil companies and I saved. At that time, I calculated about $16,000. I said, so that's that's how I got this money and I'll get the rest of it in the, in the coming years. And, and I pointed out that this is what other Democrats could do. Instead of giving your money to the oil, coal and gas companies, save it 
by going solar, save it by going electric car, and, and that way you're not giving those evil corporations money, nor are you polluting, and the money you save, some of it you can give to uh, good causes. Like I, I support uh, an animal welfare, I support Planned Parenthood, and I give money to Democrats who are running for office. So uh, instead of the oil companies funding the evil uh, politicians, we can have good people funding the good politicians, and we will win more races that way. And so I wrote this op-ed, and it got published in USA Today and a few other things. Um, so it, got, it, it kind of went viral, actually, and, but then the uh, right wing picked it up. And, uh, you know, I'm talking about Breitbart, uh, Michelle Malkin, people like that, really nasty pieces of work. And so they started saying, oh, it's a, it's a pay for play thing. He's, he's only giving money so he can lobby the president about electric cars. And that's bad. I mean, they, they were trying to make that case. And it's like on the surface, it's like, are you kidding me? You know, the, the, everybody pays money to lobby the president. That's what we do. That's our system. If you don't like the system, then join with me and we'll fight against the, uh, Citizens United and get money out of politics. But that's not what they want. They want the evil people to be able to pay and get their politicians elected, but they don't want the good people to pay and get their politicians elected. So anyway, I get a, 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 an email from the, or actually a call from the DNC, Democratic National Committee, uh, saying, you know, he's Obama's being attacked on this issue. And could you please not do any interviews until after the event? The event was a week away. So I said, oh, yeah, I don't want him to be in any trouble. I mean, Benghazi was really hot right then. There was an IRS thing that was going on. And, and so the, the president was being hammered by the right. And they didn't need any more trouble for him. So I, I laid low. But, you know, the right wing kept pumping it up over the weekend. So on Monday morning, they sent me an email saying, well, because of the controversy, we're not going to allow you to come. So they oh, disinvited no. me from it. And I got my money back. And I, and I bought uh, Tesla stock with the money. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm a happy man today. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I understand that. I that's bought great. it at 29, just so you know. Oh, yeah. Okay. Good. Good for you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see. I'm trying to think. There, there's um, National Geographic just came out. I mean, pretty cool. Their cover story, electric vehicles, right? So those are, you know, I, I always look for the, the, the bright spots and the the milestones, if you will, that, you know, we're moving in the right direction. And that was one. I actually knew about that beforehand because they had a photographer come out to a, we, we install through Evolve, we install level two chargers and we've installed at, I think, 36 locations to date in Kentucky and Indiana. Southern Indiana. And uh, one of our uh, installation sites was of interest to them because uh, one of our members belongs to uh, Drake's Resort, which is a nudist colony. Um, oh, I remember. <laughs> I heard about this. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they were like, they picked up on that and they, they spent, the photographer spent two days there uh, taking photos, aerial stuff, all sorts, you know, drone stuff, all sorts of stuff. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't use any of that. Um, you know, that's the way it works sometimes. But amazing that a cover story on electric vehicles and the cover says something like you know revolution right the revolution is here um and it has like a i guess i think a tesla right out in front and 
how cool. And I remember, like, I, I did a Facebook post, and um, I said something like, you know, revolution or something. And then one of my Facebook friends said, oh, you know, it's an evolution. And then another one of my Facebook friends said, it's a revolution. And they kind of knocked heads a little bit in a friendly it's way. kind of both. But, yeah, that's kind of what I was wondering what you thought. You know, I mean, a revolution, uh, you know, in a way sounds sexier, you know, and it, it kind of brings in that activism kind of piece. And it hasn't been easy. And I think that's what he was trying to say. But evolution is is more of a natural thing. And I think there's been that as well. So I, I kind of kind of agree with you. I think it's both, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an evolution because the technology is going to evolve. I mean, it always has. Right. We didn't have internal combustion until, what, 1870 or 1860 or something like that. Right. And, and so that was an evolution itself uh, over steam engines. And, and so you, you, the technology evolves, but the revolution part came in, in the political side of it because you have entrenched interests, the oil industry, the car industry. They don't like change. They're making money the way things are now. And here comes this evolving technology that could supplant that and cause them not to make as much money. And so there's this political fight to push the technology, and that's the revolution side of it. There's enough of us now. It used to be back in the early days, there were two dozen of us. You know, right. <laughs> we right. were up against the oil industry and the car industry and, and the complacency of 300 million Americans. So that, that was a, a lonely fight, a very difficult fight. But now millions of Americans have, have either owned or, or have ridden in or driven electric cars, and specifically Teslas, because that, now they know what, what the technology is capable of. And so they're putting pressure on the political side of it as well. And so that's the revolution side of it is enough people have joined our side of the revolution and we're going to win. We know we're going to win. The only question is how long is it going to take before we convince the enough people to stop buying gas cars that we kill internal combustion completely. And you, you brought up Toyota earlier. I, I, I kind of want to go back to that because uh, that's been in the news a lot lately. And it's ironic. I mean, years ago when my kids were little, they're both now in college, I, I would have like a green auto show at their, at you know, my, my son's, uh, I think it was kindergarten at the time. And uh, I drove a grease car at the time, you know, uh, old converted Mercedes. And it was hard for me to find someone with a Prius at the time yeah. to that come out. That was a out. long time ago, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I was excited. I have someone with a hybrid and they could talk about what a hybrid is to these, you know, kids, young kids and what the benefit of it is and how it works. And I could, I had them pouring vegetable oil into, you know, the tank of my vehicle to show them how safe it was and, and you know, smelled like French fries and all that good stuff. So that, you know, was cool. And it was really cool to see a, you know, here we are in Kentucky, I'm sure there were more Priuses or, you know, Priuses in, in the West Coast, but we didn't see them very often around here. And uh, it was cool for me to see one. So, you know, fast forward to today, when what was considered to be the greenest of green back then now seems to be, you know, fighting going green and, and doing the right thing, uh, you know, if you will. Can you talk a little bit about that and what's happening with that? Well, now, so many people are aware of climate change who were not paying attention back then that it's just more and more people are, are on our side, whether they've made the effort to change their car yet 
or not, uh, they will. And we know that the next car they get will be electric or at least uh, some sort of a plug-in hybrid. So um, it, it's it's just a matter, I think, of we've got more people on our side. The media is portraying it as a kind of a normal thing. Look at the ads. You know, since the Super Bowl uh, earlier this year, uh, they, they started running ads for Pure Electric. Um, this is not Tesla. Tesla doesn't advertise. This is GM. You know, Audi, Jaguar, you know, all, all the majors are now starting to advertise pure electric. And, and, and it's kind of funny because they, they have to do it in a careful way. You know, Tesla, if they did Tesla advertising, they would, you know, show how good, how great their car is and how so much be- it's so much better than any internal combustion. So the others can't do that because they're going to have to denigrate their the rest of their lineup. And so and I wrote about this, Jesus, back in 08, I was writing about this. This is why the car company is going to have a hard time because that transition is going to be tough for them. You know, in order to advertise an electric car properly, you have to denigrate uh, internal combustion. And the car companies will not do that while they're still selling internal combustion. So it's a matter of just having more people on our side and, and the media is really picking up on it. And, and quite frankly, um, the IPCC report on, on the damage that climate change is causing and will cause is so scary that anybody paying attention to that, especially young people, because they're inheriting what we leave them, and they're going to have a real mess. So many of them are starting to pick up. Greta Thunberg has really helped in that regard, and some others. And we're we're pushing hard to get Greta and their people, uh, you know, uh, uh, to to do more because what they're doing is in, ineffectual, and and it's sad because I don't want to. You know, denigrate. I won't denigrate Greta, but I will criticize her for wasting her time. Three years she's gone to Davos and spoken to world leaders, and she righteously chastises them. I love watching her speeches because she's just this angry little girl, and you know, you know, uh, speaking truth to power like like nobody else does. But those people are paid not to listen to her. They're paid not to act on her demands. So after three years of doing that, you would think, okay, maybe there's something else I could do. So what we're trying to do is encourage her to take up our cause. And our cause at this point is to stop the sale of all internal combustion cars, period, all manufacturers. So because look at it this way. There are a billion and a half uh, vehicles on the planet and, you know, they've, they've all got tailpipes, except for the, the new electrics that are coming out. So that's a giant tailpipe. If you put all those tailpipes together, it's a giant tailpipe spewing poison into the air uh, constantly. So as we, you know, build more cars, 90 million vehicles per year, adding to that giant tailpipe, that's a lot of stuff. So it seems to me the proper approach would be to stop the sale of those cars as much as possible, because we know the end of internal combustion, ICE, is is uh, 2035. We know that because of all the car makers who have, that have said we're not going to make any more after that, and the countries that have said we're not going to allow you to sell any after that. So um, we know that 2035 is is the end date. But it's physically possible to build the battery factories uh, fast enough to move that date up to close to 2030. So right. you know, we think eight years. That's that's going to push it. Maybe 2031, 2032. But those two three or four years that we can shave off of that is represents millions of ice cars that will not be built and will not live 12 years average spewing poison for 12 years average um, you know sending millions billions of dollars to the oil companies for that time right. so 
So the goal here is to get Greta to turn her troops toward the activities that we've been recently doing, calling on boycotts of internal combustion to stop the sale of every ICE car that we can. Because when you buy, when a customer goes into a Toyota dealership and buys a gas car, uh, then that tells the factory, build another one. Right, right. So we got to stop that. And that, and this is how we do it. And it seems, I mean, if you're just looking at legacy automakers, like Ford just recently announced a humongous battery plant here in Kentucky, and we're, you know, everybody's jumping for joy over here. You know, I mean, my head exploded yeah. when I heard it's, that it's really in, a, in a good way. Yeah, it's really good news. You know, and GM seems to be doing the right thing in that, you know, they're going to be replacing the battery packs and all these bolts. It's not going to be a cheap fix, but they're, they said they're committed to doing it. But then you have Toyota again. The, the Prius King that they said, oh, yeah, you know, we're, we're building a battery plant and we're going to, you know, invest a certain amount of money in, in this plant and building batteries. But then when you look deeper into it, they really are still talking about hybrids and they're, they're not if they are going to be making any battery electric vehicles, they're not going to be rolling them out in any big numbers. It's it's obvious from what I've seen, you know, and it just kind of seems like they're betting against their own interests at this point. It's just kind of puzzling, you know. I don't know what your take is on that. Oh, it, I have a just... take on that. <laughs> this is why this is why we chose Toyota as as our uh, initial boycott. So I made a big banner boycott Toyota, and we had forty five people out at the, at the dealership protesting right. last month and and we did another protest last week and we're going to do another one next month uh toyota is the worst car company on the planet today and that's really a weird thing for environmentalists to say but it's true because they are actively fighting against electric vehicles on three continents and uh they lobbied our our congress against measures that would uh increase electric vehicles and here's the other thing uh they're they're the largest corporate donor to the right-wing, insurrectionist-loving, climate-denying members of Congress. They're the largest. They're, they give mm. more money than Exxon to those people. So they are our political enemies. Toyota, anybody who buys a Toyota is funding Trump, funding McConnell, funding you know Ted Cruz and those people. So um, we're calling on everybody to boycott every product that Toyota sells. They have two plug-in hybrids. And, yeah, if you wanted to buy one of those, I wouldn't chastise you for it. But, right. quite frankly, I'd rather you buy a plug-in hybrid from somebody else if that's what you need to buy. So, but, uh, you know, we've got we've to gotta go after these guys. The reason they're doing it is, yeah, they're making moves toward building battery factories and all because they're not stupid. They know that's the end game. And if they don't get right. some skin in the game at some point, you know, they're just going to lose all market share to all the others. I mean, G, um, GM, Ford, uh, VW, particularly VW, is, is they're building a lot of electric cars. And they're just going to eat into Toyota and, to another degree, Honda. Honda's, like, second worst. Um, and so those two companies are betting on trying to squeeze as much profit out of selling hybrids for as long as possible uh, to make as much money before they make the full uh, transition over to electric. So that's we know that's what they're doing, uh, but we're right. calling them out on it, and we're calling for all the, the good people of America to just stop buying Toyotas, stop buying Hondas, stop buying all ICE, uh, but particularly those two companies, to push them. So don't allow them to keep making ICE cars. If you buy one, they're going to make another one. So just don't buy any more ICE cars from anybody, but particularly don't buy anything from Toyota and Honda. Now, um... 
I mean, you're out there in California, and obviously things are a lot different out there for you all. Here in Kentucky and, and our, you know, surrounding areas, it's, it's changing, but, you know, obviously we'd like to see it change faster. You know, there seems to be kind of a disconnect, there's, there's, especially if you go out into some of the more rural areas. People, you know, they love their trucks, you know, and there is this love of noise and pollution, and, and it, it's like kind of this emotional thing. In fact, we have one member who um, races uh, dirt bikes, and uh, he bought two electric dirt bikes. And I'm sure that there are some people, you know, a uh, day of race that are, you know, kind of looking at it and geeking out over it and thinking it's a good thing. But I'm also sure that there are folks that are like, what is this electric vehicle doing here, you know, doing this? I mean, how do we, I don't, I don't know if we can level the playing field. It's always been that, you know, Kentucky will lag behind, uh, you know, the the rest of the nation in, in some ways, you know, but it's, for the folks that really want to change things here, it, it's it's a source of frustration, you know? Yeah, so I don't deal with people like that who, you know, they just love the noise and the pollution. Um, I get into arguments with them every now and then, and um, but but it's pointless. So here's the, here's the deal on that. The people who don't care, we don't care about them because we're going to force them to buy electric by killing the ice industry. This is why I don't waste my time with them. You know, uh, you've got, they they are fruit at the top of the tree, okay? Why go up to the top of the tree when there's fruit hanging down on these limbs that you can pick from the ground? Those are the people we go after, because the more we depress the sale of new ice, the faster the ice corporations will stop making them. So, and once they stop making them, it's not like some corporation is going to come up 10, 20 years from now and say, oh, I have an idea. Let's build a factory for several billion dollars that manufactures internal combustion engines and transmissions. Let's do that because they're not going to. There's not going to be a market for it. So we kill the, the manufacturing of ice, and then all those people who love their noise and love their pollution, when they go to buy a new vehicle, because their ice vehicle will die eventually, then the only thing on the showroom floor are electric. Yeah, and there's one thing about, you know, to have a spirited debate or, you know, with a someone on the other side that's open to listening. But, um, yeah, when, when it's... Um, one way, it's just an exercise in frustration. Yeah, if they, if so. they pay attention to science, I'll have, I'll have a conversation right. with anybody who listens to science. But if they deny right. science, if they say, oh, and this, it always comes down to this, I, I point out that, well, there's, there's physical harm caused to people by pollution. You know, it kills 7 million people every year, and transportation is about 40% of that. Um, and, and so they flat out deny that. And so I'll tell them, right. well, fine. I'll take my car and go into a garage and, and keep it on. And you keep, you take your car and go into a garage. We'll stay, uh, we'll con- converse by cell phone. And you keep right. your engine on and you tell me if you're getting tired. Okay. That's right. So, um, That's right. so you can, you can call them out very easily. They're, they're wrong on the facts. So you point that out. And if they disagree with the facts, then you end the conversation. 
What What is your take? Because uh, obviously with Tesla, it's always been and always will be the, the direct-to-customer model. And early on here in Kentucky, when we were first starting Evolve, um, we didn't we had a Drive Electric Week event, but there was actually a, uh, I hate to say competing Drive Electric Week event, but there was uh, another event that was uh, put on by someone that also wanted to get into the whole EV charger business, but it was for-profit. It and um, they they got cars there and they got someone from Tesla to bring a Tesla and they had a BMW I3. what's the fancy one I3 or I8 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 yeah so and and this guy had pictures with all these cars and stuff and what ended up happening was the automobile association here for dealers uh, sent a cease and desist or, order to Tesla saying if you ever do this again. Um, you'll hear from our lawyers, and, and you can't do this. because. What, what, what was it that they did that they couldn't do? Um, they had Tesla, a, a Tesla representative, what they considered trying to sell Teslas to the general public. Um, and without, <laughs> yeah, and they, they don't have a dealership here. Oh, it's my one of those states. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Well, we are absolutely. Oh, I hear geez. about it all the time. <laughs> so that's been something where obviously we we have Tesla, lots of Tesla drivers now, which is wonderful. Uh, it's really changed in you know the seven years or so that you know we started the group to uh, be almost like a Tesla group, right. you yeah. know. But we still, you know, there's that whole disconnect as far as direct to customer sales. And I mean, my opinion is let's level the playing field and let's let everybody do whatever it takes to sell cars. And if they're going to buy this car over this car, let them do it. You know, uh, obviously they they won over that person, but a lot of a lot of the car dealers don't see it that way. No, they're uh, cowards. They see it as un, un, they're unfair competition. Unfair competition because hey, you yeah. got a better product than me. You can't do that. <laughs> yeah. they but are, aren't, go ahead. Aren't they going to be doing the exact same thing in uh, in a few years? It just seems like that's the way things are moving. Uh, Who, you know, who's going to be doing wrong. the exact same thing? Car, car manufacturers wouldn't it be best for them to go direct? to the consumer oh yeah yeah as yeah, well? yeah 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 there's there's been a lot of talk about that in uh, a lot of circles because i mean g g austin <laughs> this this is such a beautiful thing and i'm so glad that elon picked uh, austin for their their uh, plant uh, because it's illegal to sell teslas in in texas as well and so uh, they're going to have to ship those cyber trucks out of the state physically out yeah. of the state and then when somebody in texas buys one uh, they have to ship it back in on an unmarked, non-Tesla branded truck to the 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 home of the person buying the car. Uh, that's gonna that's gonna look really silly, really fast. Yes. And they're gonna have thousands of employees and tens of thousands, if not millions, of people in Texas who think that's really stupid. So right. um, the 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 capital of Texas is in Austin, so they're gonna be a lot of pressure on them to change that law. And in any dealership uh, or organization of dealerships selling ICE cars that prevents Tesla from selling is, is scared of the competition. They should be shamed. They're not capitalists. They're not real capitalists. They go running to their, their uh, state houses to pass laws to protect them from a better product. They, they should be ashamed of that. that. That should be blasted across the paper in every letter to the editor, calling them out. They should be, there should be a campaign in every city to, to embarrass 
and and get these people to change their minds because they're going to lose market share, period. Tesla's right. going to gobble them up. They're going to make millions of cars. Uh, they're going to be making 20 million Teslas by 2030 every year. That's that's like 30% of the entire globe's market, and they'll right. sell every one of them. So, so these guys, they're, they're just grabbing at straws, trying to stay alive as long as they can. They're cowards. They're you know, paper capitalists, you know, they, they don't, they aren't real capitalists because they run for protection at every instance. Um, and they're not willing to go head to head, you know, their product against another product. They're scared of right. it because they know their product sucks compared to a Tesla. Now, what do you think the future is going to be like? I mean, um, there's been so much great press. There's been, I mean, I'm really impressed again, going back to, you know, the, National Drive Electric Week stuff, you know, um, here you have people that are taking their free time and becoming a sales force for folks and are absolutely thrilled to do that. You know, I, I can't think of another instance anywhere, you know, that that's such an accomplishment. I mean, I'm just thrilled to talk to you because I, I know that you're one of a select few people that has kind of set that all in motion. You know, it's a beautiful thing, but, you know, there still is, you know, as, as you take five steps forward, there's still, you know, there was something in the De Detroit Free Press the other day. You've probably saw it. It was saying how um, the there was a study and it said, oh, electric cars are more expensive to fuel <laughs> than gas vehicles. <laughs> exactly. That, that, yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, I, I just uh, I'm thinking, OK, you know, cover of National Geographic, you know, Ford makes an announcement and GM's doing the right thing. And yeah, Toyota, I don't know what's up with that. Um, but it seems like we're, you know, we have a our first police force here in Kentucky and Berea, Kentucky bought Tesla's as, you know, yeah, as one of my podcasts um, as, you know, patrol cars. Um, and we have this young uh, police chief that's really forward thinking that's doing the right thing. So there's a lot of great stuff happening. And then, you know, you can't get too happy. <laughs> so yeah, it kind of gets reeled back in and someone writes something that just, you know, you're thinking, and it was like Detroit Free Press. I think, you know, what's that all about? Well, you know? They, so, I mean, yeah. what do you, what do you think the future is going to be like? I mean, it, it just seems like we still have to be watchful. Um, you know, we still have to think about, you know, activism, whether it's online or in person or both. When can we just sort of kind of declare victory, yeah. if you will? <laughs> that's that's great. I, lo I love the way you ended that. Uh, <laughs> because we're, we're not there yet, but we're very close. We, we, we know victory is around the corner, but victory will happen when uh, basically Toyota and Honda cave and say, we're, we're going all electric by this date. And we're not going to make any ice after that. Um, I think at that point we can literally declare victory. Um, but these that study, that must have been done by the same people who did the study about eight years ago that said a Hummer was more environmental than a Prius. You probably saw that yeah. one. Um, yeah. And, and they, they say it with a straight face. And then they go in and they use you know, cherry-picked data to right. uh, create the, the lie that they're putting out there. These are all, all any negative EV story you see, follow it back to its source. It's got oil at the source. You know, they hire these merchants of doubt. And merchants of doubt is a term that came from a book 
written by Naomi Oreskes and another fellow, I forget his name. But the documentary uh, was produced on it that is excellent, and I highly recommend that you watch Merchants of Doubt because that will inoculate you against a lot of these things. So Merchants of Doubt are hired people who, who will lie for money, and they started doing it back in the tobacco wars. You know, when, when tobacco was declared uh, uh, something that caused lung disease, and so they hired internally their own data. The tobacco company's own data showed that they were correct, but they hired their own doctors to uh, make studies and make up lies, saying, well, it could be tobacco, but it could be other things. So they, they created this doubt. So they became merchants of doubt, and they delayed tobacco legislation for decades so they could make billions more money in killing millions more people um, while they were doing it. So those same people went into uh, you know, uh, making lies, making up lies about uh, uh, fire retardant material and, and all these other things, the ozone, all that stuff, until climate change came along. And now uh, we've got some of the old group are still active in that uh, merchants of doubt, but there's a whole bunch of new ones who are hired by huge money from the oil industry and the coal and gas industry, uh, suggesting, you know, making stories up about, oh, well, electric cars are even dirtier than gas cars for these reasons. And it's all lies. And they should be called right. out every single time. Uh, anytime you see something like that, send the link to me and I'll go after them. I, I'm just kind of um, thinking, is there anything else? Um that you want to mention or, or talk about. Um, I, I think we've covered a lot. I think this is great. We have. You know, uh, so. w w what we're doing now is we're working really hard to try to get, uh, you know, the Fridays for Future group and Sunrise Foundation, Extinction Rebellion. These are all groups that are really fighting the climate fight, but they're all being ineffectual. You know, they're doing marches and stuff. And the marches, I did two of the marches with uh, Greta. She put them on here in L.A. And we had thousands of people downtown L.A. marching around with signs and speeches and all this stuff. And I went to both of them and I thought, well, OK, what are they affecting here? You know, they're, they're not affecting the oil companies. Matter of fact, most of them drove downtown in gas-burning cars, so they bought gasoline in order to do that, so the oil companies made money off the march. They're not affecting the car sales because there aren't any car dealers downtown that were affected by that. But if those same 5,000 people had divided up into groups of 100 and went to, you know, 100 different car dealers, and, and bit, had a big noisy march on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon, the busiest days for the car dealerships. And if they did that once a month, they would have an effect on the sale of gas cars. That would right. lower the number of gas cars sold. That would lower the number of gas cars made. And that would end the manufacturing of 100% of the internal combustion engines worldwide much sooner. That's the effect that we're trying to get. And... To the extent that you can help us with that, that's where our, all of our efforts are going toward uh, just ending the sale, ending the manufacture of ice. That's great. That's great. I like hearing that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, this has been an absolute pleasure. Well, they, you uh, know what? You know. It's, it's a pleasure for me because uh, I'm talking to a guy in Kentucky, a very red state, who's been doing what I've been doing. And it's like, wow, it's, it's like you you people are all over the place. And, and it's not like just a bunch of us, <clears throat> you know, progressive people in Santa Monica, you know, because people deride us all the time. Well, you're just... 
You, they, they denigrate us for being progressives in California. I don't know why right. they do that, but they do. <clears throat> so it's good to know that we've got people in all corners of, of America and throughout the world who understand the problem for what it is, and it's a big-ass problem. It's the worst problem humanity has ever faced, and we're causing it. And we, right. we have the solution uh, to stop it, and that solution is to stop using dirty energy of all kinds. And that's what we're working toward. That's great to hear. So, yeah, thank you so much. I mean, I, I super, super appreciate you, uh, you spending some time with me today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stu's EV Universe. I would like to thank Eden Unger for creating the artwork and the music for this episode. Remember, please rate, review, subscribe, and share, as that's the only way we can continue to grow. Now you can support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash stewsevu. Remember, the EV revolution runs on your energy. I'm Stuart Unger. See you next time.